Hello and welcome to another episode. This is the second installment where I read to you from my upcoming book. In February, I started compiling all the arguments I hear from people I debate with online and responding to those claims in a more organized and less chaotic way. The first episode of this I did was on evolution. Today I want to read from you from the Big Bang section. I have 10 total arguments against the Big Bang that I've responded to so far. Today we're going to cover 6 of those. Let's get started. Before we begin today's episode, I want to tell you that if you like this content and you want to support me, there are links to my Patreon, Venmo, and more in the description on Spotify, or you can go to my YouTube channel and click in the link in the banner that says support the channel. You can also check me out on YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. Just search Planet Peterson on those platforms. Okay, back to the episode. The Big Bang is by far the most misunderstood scientific concept that people argue about with me. The misunderstanding is almost always that people think the Big Bang Theory claims the universe came from nothing. That has never been an aspect of the Big Bang Theory. The next most common misunderstanding is that people think the Big Bang was a literal explosion. But there are more. Here are some genuine examples non-believers have told me about what the Big Bang is. The Big Bang was when some rocks came down and started forming a thing. The Big Bang was when two molecules rubbed together. The Big Bang was when two atoms collided at supersonic speed. I can see why they don't believe it, but unfortunately, their disbelief is based in unscientific nonsense. What's more unfortunate is they think their arguments are based on science. The Big Bang is the idea that the universe expanded from an initial state of incredible density and temperature. In fact, it's still expanding. It's still banging. We can practically see the Big Bang because the universe is unquestionably expanding and we discovered the cosmic microwave background radiation decades ago. More on that later as well. British astronomer Fred Hoyle coined the term Big Bang in 1949. Hoyle did not believe in the Big Bang and used that term as a straw man. Instead, Hoyle believed in a steady-state model. The steady-state model maintains that the universe expands but continuously produces matter as it expands. If the Big Bang violates the second law of thermodynamics, which the people I debate claim it does, the steady-state theory certainly does as well. Denying the Big Bang is just weird to me. Denying that the universe expands is on par with believing the sun orbits the Earth. The proof is less accessible to your average Joe, but it's proven science. But if they're going to deny the universe expands, what is the alternative? There is no alternative. It's denial for denial's sake. Once again, most people's gripe with the Big Bang is they can't believe nothing turned into something. But it takes 10 seconds to explain that's not the Big Bang, yet they still continue to deny it. To state it bluntly, the dismissal of the Big Bang theory is not rooted in a robust understanding of the concept, but rather a profound misunderstanding of its fundamental tenets. A fact that becomes evident when we uncover the myriads of misconceptions thrown in the debate arena, each more crazy than the last. There's no denying that understanding the Big Bang Theory requires a certain level of abstraction. It demands a leap from our everyday experience of reality, which can be unsettling for some people. Perhaps it's this intellectual discomfort that leads to its denial. Yet, discomfort should not be grounds for denial. 
Scientific theories aren't up for popularity votes. Their validity is not determined by how comfortable or intuitive they seem to us, but by their ability to predict and explain the universe we observe. With that being said, here are the most common Big Bang arguments I hear and the counter-arguments to them. I've had to cut a lot of arguments out, such as the Big Bang was when two atoms collided, because they either make too little sense to even address, or the response is just a simple no. The Big Bang proves the Bible. If you type 5,318,008 into a calculator and then hold it upside down, it will reveal a funny message. But it doesn't really say anything. It can't. It's an upside down number. Upside down numbers don't say anything unless we interpret them to mean something other than what they say. Similarly, the Bible says nothing about the Big Bang. Claiming that it does is nothing but a post hoc rationalization, and a flimsy one at that. As we will see, it takes incredible imagination, in a bad way, to twist the words of the Bible to make it sound like it describes an expanding universe. Let's dissect the opening lines of the Bible to see if they match the Big Bang in any way. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Big Bang offers no explanation for what created the universe. But since the Big Bang is a scientific theory, and science appeals to naturalism while rejecting the supernatural, it could never support this claim. Neither could any scientific theory. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. There was no planet earth when the universe was created. Everything happening in these passages occurs on the first day of creation. Big Bang cosmology tells us that nothing we could even call matter as we know it existed for several hundred thousand years after the universe began to expand. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Again, there was no light at the beginning of the universe. The universe was completely opaque to any kind of energy. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. What does that even mean? God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. Oh, so that's what it means. This is hilarious because the sun wasn't created until the fourth day. What was responsible for separating light from darkness according to this theory? Again, matter in the form of atoms and elements, let alone stars, did not exist for hundreds of thousands of years after the universe began to expand. Even if you're a young Earth creationist who believes the universe is only a few thousand years old, there's no explanation for what divides the day from the night in a universe without a sun or stars. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. No, there wasn't. I once heard Peter Atkins, a militant atheist whose style I'm not particularly fond of, call the opening lines of the Bible elastic words. I find this to be a fantastic analogy. He's British, and they're better at English than the rest of us. The words of the Bible are just vague enough that you can stretch their meaning to make it say whatever you want. The only case you could make is the Big Bang tells us that the universe has a beginning, and the Bible appears to say the same thing. But that's an incredibly weak argument considering there were only two possibilities. Getting something right, and I say that with air quotes, when there's a 50-50 chance is no sign of prophecy Show me one example of an explosion creating something. I'm not aware of any explosions that create anything except craters. That being said, 
This is still a terrible argument. Show me one scientist who thinks the Big Bang was an explosion. You can tell by the statement that the person saying it knows less than nothing about the Big Bang. Yes, less than nothing. They don't know any of the actual facts of the theory, and what they think they know is incorrect. It's the equivalent of saying, I only know one thing about ducks, and it's that they don't have feathers. Why do we do this? Why do people say such ridiculous things about concepts they know nothing about? In his book, 21 Lessons for the 21st Century, Yuval Noah Harari says, Humans think in stories rather than facts, numbers, or equations. And the simpler the story, the better. This is a feature, not a bug. Our enormous brains evolved to do things that computers can't do, such as read emotions, recognize objects, manipulate matter and create things, and stimulate the vomiting reflex. Numbers and data just aren't natural to us. It doesn't impact our thinking nearly as much as emotions or stories. This is precisely why when you hear that, on average, 165,000 people die every day, you aren't crushed emotionally. But we are crushed when we see a photo of a single person whose life was cut short in the news. That may explain why we think incorrectly about complex things, but there's another layer to this that drives me crazy. It's the fact that a person would be bold enough to straw man a topic that they know nothing about. I have no idea how to build skyscrapers. Imagine I go to a construction site with a megaphone and shout, you guys don't know what you're doing, that's wrong. What credentials do I possess that give me any right to do that? None. What credentials does anyone who isn't a physicist have to doubt the Big Bang? The person making the claim doesn't even appreciate that the phenomenon itself is incredibly complex. How much audacity must you have to think you can intuitively know more about what happened when the universe came into being than the entire field of physics? I get how that can come across as a bit elitist, but can we please just leave the science to the scientists? I view Big Bang skeptics who have no formal education the same way I view voodoo doctors. Sometimes going against the grain is important. Sometimes it makes you look like a jackass. The Big Bang violates the second law of thermodynamics. Oh, not this again. On the surface, this claim makes almost no sense. Let's assume the person making the claim understands the Big Bang and the second law of thermodynamics. Experience tells me this is far too generous, but that's okay. If the universe began in a highly condensed, highly ordered state, and has been expanding ever since, cooling down and losing usable energy in the process, where's the violation? There is a 94-minute debate on my YouTube channel of a guest, a physicist friend of mine, and myself arguing about this. The video is titled, Talking to a Brick Wall. The guest further claimed that the universe violates the second law because matter organizes into planets and stars. I'm not a physicist, nor is my formal education in physics. I am an everyman, but I try to be logical and I tried to explain that just because energy is decreasing overall doesn't mean that therefore nothing can happen. For example, if you put ramen into boiling water, then immediately turn off the heat source, it will still cook. Usable energy is still there. It can do work. Now, that's just an unsophisticated metaphor, so I did some homework, and here's a more in-depth response. 
The second law of thermodynamics states that entropy within the overall system must increase over time. Entropy can mean more than one thing, but with regard to matter, we would expect matter to become more disorganized over time. When matter clumps together under the influence of gravity, it heats up, increasing its entropy. But because the matter also organizes, its entropy decreases. In other words, there are competing forces that maximize and minimize entropy. The second law of thermodynamics is preserved when we learn that the heat generated creates more entropy than is lost by the matter decreasing in volume. Let's compare this to what we know about stars. The biggest stars burn the brightest. Why is this? From an entropy perspective, it's just like the example before. The larger star creates more pressure, which does make the star more organized. However, compression leads to increases in temperature. What you need to know about temperature is, the higher the temperature of an object, the greater the distribution of heat energy within it. An object at absolute zero would be composed entirely of particles with no kinetic energy, and therefore no variation in heat energy. The hottest objects contain the greatest range, with some particles moving much faster and others moving much slower than the particles closest to the average temperature of the object. The disorganization of heat energies is much greater than the organization of matter. If you're reading this book and thinking to yourself, I should probably be working out instead, then just know this. By not working out, you make the universe last just a bit longer. You know the Big Bang is a theory that's never been proven, right? To stay logically consistent, the person that makes this claim must now doubt the following things. Atoms and subatomic particles exist. Germs cause disease. The Earth orbits the Sun. General and special relativity. Quantum mechanics. Evolution. Well, they almost certainly doubt that one as well. Plate tectonics. The fact that life is composed of cells. Kinetic theory of matter. Electromagnetism. Nobody I've ever met thinks atoms don't exist. Why not? If it's just a theory, then their existence is unproven. Because they know that scientifically verified is the closest we can get to proving anything. Scientific theories are what they are because virtually all of the observations and experimental evidence point in that direction. I will discuss scientific theories in more detail in part 3 of this book. For now, let's just discuss more about the Big Bang. I think when most of us say, prove it, what we really mean is, show me the evidence. No amount of evidence proves anything with 100% certainty. But when two competing claims exist, and only one has evidence, that has to count for something. The evidence for the Big Bang is overwhelming. First of all, we live in an expanding universe. When people tell me the Big Bang is false, I almost always ask them if they think the universe is expanding. The ones who don't think the Earth is flat say, yes, the universe is expanding. They really hate what I do next. I then tell them, you believe in the Big Bang Theory. Now, an expanding universe could mean we live in a steady-state universe, not a Big Bang universe, but I've never met anybody who believes in the steady-state model. Like any scientific idea, the Big Bang posits several predictions. Science sticks its neck out, lays out all the cards on the table, puts its money where its mouth is, and other figures of speech. The Big Bang model predicts that the early universe was too hot and dense to observe light. High-energy electrons immediately scattered any free photons. 
the universe was opaque. Then, around 380,000 years after the Big Bang, things calmed down a bit. The universe was cool enough for the first stable hydrogen atoms to form. This allowed light to travel between particles. Our universe was now observable. The light traveling between particles at this stage would have been extremely high energy. The temperature of the universe would have been around 3000 Kelvin. At this time, the wavelengths of electromagnetic radiation would have been around 966 nanometers, putting it in the infrared energy range. But because the universe continues to expand, this initial radiation has lost energy. The effect is the wavelengths increase. Back in 1948, it was predicted that at this point in the universe's history, the energy from 380,000 years after the Big Bang should have shifted into the microwave range, with temperatures around 2.7 Kelvin and wavelengths just over one millimeter. This cosmic microwave background radiation would exist everywhere in the universe because that's where the Big Bang happened, everywhere. Lo and behold, back in 1964, the cosmic microwave background radiation was discovered at Bell Laboratories in New Jersey. Serendipitously, I might add, Arno Penzias and Robert Wilson of Bell Laboratories were not looking for the CMB. They were testing their antenna for future radio astronomy and satellite communications experiments. They won the Nobel Prize in Physics in 1978. If that's not an example of proving something, then I don't know what is. How can something come from nothing? Who said it can? I never have. The Big Bang certainly doesn't make that assertion, but that's the common misconception. I have no idea why people think that's what the Big Bang is about. Maybe it's just the Mandela effect? Lawrence Krauss, another militant atheist, did us no favors by writing a book titled A Universe from Nothing. I haven't read that book, but from what I've heard, Krauss didn't literally mean nothing. I'm not sure what the clickbait version of book titles is, maybe it's eye candy, but perhaps that's what he was going for. Like many other instances we've come across, the accuser immediately becomes the accused. Here's an example of what almost all of these conversations I have look like. Them. How can a universe come from nothing? Me. I don't know. I never said it could. But you believe in the Big Bang. I don't know how the universe was made or what made it, and that's also not the Big Bang Theory. Them. The universe was made by God. Me. How did he do it? And what did he make the universe out of? Them. Uh... God can do anything. Me. So, you criticized me for believing the universe came from nothing. I don't believe that, but you do. Do you not understand the irony in that? You know the Big Bang was discovered by a Catholic priest, right? Objection. On what grounds? Relevance. I don't understand the point of this question. Neither do the people who ask it. When I ask them, so what? The only response I usually get is, I'm just saying. Alternatively, they might respond with something along the lines of, the Big Bang proves God. We are now dealing with a first cause or prime mover argument. The Kalam cosmological argument is also this type of argument. I don't think these arguments are illogical or irrational, but I do find that they assume too much and are God of the gaps arguments. Instead of dealing with those arguments, let's return to the original question. Georges Lemaitre, who was born in 1894 and died in 1966, 
was a Belgian physicist, astronomer, and, yes, Catholic priest. Lemaitre was the first to propose a scientific model for an expanding universe. He called it the primeval atom, or sometimes the cosmic egg. He later collaborated with Edwin Hubble, who added additional proof that the universe is expanding. Today, the Hubble-Lemaitre law describes how the speed at which distant galaxies retreat from us is proportional to their distance. Lemaitre made these discoveries by using the scientific method. He found proof of red-shifted galaxies using a telescope. He wrote his paper by consulting other scientific papers. He checked his work by doing math. At no point in this process did Lemaitre open the book of Genesis and check to see if his science was correct. That just doesn't make any sense. He wasn't doing theology or apologetics. He was doing science. Appealing to his being a priest is a non-starter. People have made the same argument when referencing Gregor Mendel was a monk. Lemaitre's priestly business and Mendel's monkey business are irrelevant. You might as well point out that they were men. Does having a penis have something to do with this? Or we could appeal to their European roots. Or we could appeal to their Caucasian roots. We could take any of those aspects and build a case that these are important or add credit to the discovery. But nobody would ever say that white Christian European men are superior, right? Right? Here's the rub. The scientific method is what discovered the Big Bang. It's the only method that could have discovered it. You give a trillion Catholic priests a trillion years to read the Bible, and they would never come up with anything about the cosmological structure of the universe. You have to look up at the natural world to discover things, not down at old books. Well, that does it for this episode. Hopefully you liked the little sneak peek of the book here, and hopefully you learned a few things, and, I don't know, maybe laughed a time or two. Thanks for listening. Yeah.